So I like that Philip plays the drums and has a leather jacket, and I was the conductor of my marching band, and I have a PowerPoint, which is very similar street cred-wise. So hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm from a company called Eventbrite, which all of you know, whether you realize it or not, because you used Eventbrite to register for this conference, which is awesome. And the thing I want to talk to you today about is social commerce. So this idea of the ways in which different sharing behaviors through our platform actually translate to true ticket sales and, and measurable dollars. So, so for starters, here are some you know, badass numbers about Eventbrite. In short, for those of you who aren't familiar with us, we're a platform that makes it easy for people to create event pages, promote the heck out of them, uh, sell tickets, and capture information about their attendees. What's most relevant for you guys is that in the past year, we've done over 40,000 concerts and music festivals. So as much as you know, we're really excited to be working with Brian and SF Music Tech, and we work with loads of conferences, we also work with a lot of musicians, bands, promoters, concert venues, etc. And we're working with really impressive festivals, just to name a few. But the thing that I really want to talk to you about today is this idea of social commerce. So from a really high level, social commerce is measuring the amount of additional revenue generated through ticket sales that are uh, basically inspired and incited by your fans. And the reason why this is really fascinating to us at Eventbrite is that back in 2008, we realized that more and more of our traffic was coming to the platform via Facebook. So what that means is people were creating event pages on Eventbrite, copying and pasting the information, throwing it on their Facebook wall and telling all their friends to come. And we realized we really wanted to capture this inclination. We really wanted to make it easier for people to start sharing their event information on Facebook with their friends. And that's why we enabled a one-click Facebook integration, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. So what that means is that when you create an event on Eventbrite, when you're putting a show on, it's very easy for the people who are interested in your show to tell their friends and their contacts about the show. And that's really important because of this virtuous cycle. And I'm not going to belabor the point here. But basically, the idea is that if Philip is hosting a performance and I'm really pumped about it, I'm going to not only buy a ticket, I'm going to post it on my Facebook wall. And then Claire over there is going to see it on my Facebook wall. And then she's probably going to buy a ticket. And then she's going to share it. And then Martina's going to see it on her Facebook wall. You get the point. So the idea is that we, as promoters, musicians, technologists, we want to make it as easy as possible for people to share information that's relevant to their communities. And music is one of those places where a recommendation goes a long way. So we do this number crunching at Eventbrite, and these are the, the stats that we, we launched about four months ago where we take a look at how much actual ticket revenue is generated through different sharing activities on our platform. And, and this magic number, 324, that's, that's extra money in the bank every time someone shares an event from our platform on one of their social media channels. And we've broken it out additionally by the different channels. So Facebook, obviously the highest, and then Twitter, and then LinkedIn. We also take a look at the amount of visits that are generated by, by different kinds of sharing practices. So not only how many dollars are transacted because of that share, but how many sets of eyeballs are coming to your event page because someone shared it with their friends. And again, you know, this is really interesting to sort of compare the different platforms because you can see Twitter actually generates way more visits than Facebook and LinkedIn. 
But today for you guys, what I wanted to do is actually bring something new and, and really specific to the music community. So these numbers in the music column are brand new. No one's ever seen them before. And this is basically an opportunity for us to take a look at the music inventory on our platform and figure out how does that compare to the aggregate average? Because certainly social sharing behaviors in the music community are going to be different than sort of the aggregate inventory on our platform. Music is one of those things that's deeply personal. It's something that we share with our friends. We want to go to concerts with people we know. So this is really a ripe opportunity for this kind of marketing. And so you'll see, like, this is really interesting to me. And, and this is legit. I didn't even make these numbers up. Like, this is real. That, that sharing on Facebook and Twitter actually generates more revenue than average on our platform. That's a big deal. What's also interesting is that the visits are the same, right? So, so really what that's telling us is that the power of a share is just more potent, right? You're going to generate more revenue by sharing on these platforms because music inventory is, again, one of those kinds of events that people really want to share with people they know. And just so you guys know, we, we took the, this data from, from concerts and music festivals where the average ticket price is about $30 to $35. And that's important because when you're generating this kind of information, if you're looking at very high-priced inventory, if you're looking at concerts that cost 80 bucks, 100 bucks to attend, that's going to inflate these numbers. And so we intentionally looked at the average ticket price, a nice $30, $35 show, because we didn't want these numbers to be falsely inflated. So here are some takeaways. You know, basically, social sharing is really important. So, so this is kind of the pitch that I imagine someone making to the person in their office who's in charge of marketing or the guy at the venue who says, ah, well, you know, who needs that crap? Like, like why is this important? This is why. Because we're actually measuring it in dollars and cents, and it truly does generate meaningful revenue. And, and I think that this, this difference between Facebook and Twitter is actually a really compelling one. So if you think about the people that you're friends with on Facebook, chances are they're more linked to you by geography. So, so chances are you're friends with a lot of people in the place where you live, as opposed to Twitter, where I'm friends with all sorts of people who don't live where I live. And also, the, the, the connections that I have on Facebook are a little bit more reflective of my taste. And if we think about music as the kind of thing that we share with, with our friends and that our tastes are likely to align, Facebook really is the more meaningful place for us to share this kind of information. And we see that prove out in the numbers, that the Facebook share is the most valuable of all the shares. And so we can think about how we can put this into practice, right? And so, so you know, it's like, obviously, get, get on social media. I don't think I need to tell any of you people that. And, and then, of, co of course, encouraging people to share and being clever in the ways in which you encourage people to share, whether it's being really good about promoting a hashtag, creating tiered ticket types so that people know that they should rush to the early bird ticket because it's cheaper. That's going to incentivize people to share that information because they're going to want to make sure that their friends get cheap tickets, too. And also, like this idea of staying agile is really, really important. So you want to be able to capture information about where people people are finding information about your event and make adjustments accordingly so that you're feeding your marketing channels into the places that are going to be most powerful. And so I have two examples today just of, of customers who have done this, who've done a really awesome job. So iHeart SF did this winter salt performance that was this massive DJ performance here in San Francisco. And they, they did something really clever. They basically gave all of their performing artists tracking links to see who was selling the most tickets. They, they took a look at the, the reports that come out on the back end from Eventbrite and said, okay, these are the acts that are generating the most ticket sales. Then they built a Facebook advertising campaign around those individual artists who had the most allure, who had the most cachet. So that was a really clever way that they could sort of make adjustments in real time take a look at who was driving the most in revenue, and then 
feed into that, invest into that, and build a marketing plan around that. The other example I wanted to talk about was Oktoberfest by the Bay. I don't know if you can see there are people in Lederhosen back there on the stage. So they wanted to do a Pandora campaign, and, and really they basically just attached tracking links to their Pandora advertising to see how well it was doing. It was something they had never tried before. They had never tried advertising on internet radio. And they wanted to see what kind of revenue it was driving. It turned out to be very successful, and they actually diverted some of their advertising budget from traditional terrestrial radio to this, this internet radio because they were able to see in real time how powerful it was. So that's kind of my quick spiel. I'd love to answer any questions people have. I think I have a little bit more time. Yeah, I have a little bit more time. Yes, sure. Sure. So the first question is, is, have we thought about incentivizing people to share event information with a price break? So that's the kind of thing that an individual organizer would, would have to decide. So Eventbrite, we don't get to sort of decide how, how their tiered pricing works or what kind of discounts they offer. But it's certainly possible that an organizer could say, OK, I'm going to give you know my top 10 promoters, my top 10 big mouth influencers in a market a special ref code. And I'm going to see how many tickets they, they sell by sharing, and then I'm going to give them a, a you know a referral you know like a referral bonus or some kind of financial reward to sort of compensate and thank them for for spreading the word that's absolutely something you could sort of track in real time yeah, so the question is, what kinds of adjustments do people tend to make as they're capturing these reports? So I think it varies wildly depending on what type of event it is. I thought that it was really clever what iHeartSF did as far as like attributing specific ref codes to specific performers. So if you're, you're holding a festival, if you're holding a conference where there are multiple acts, that's really a great way to see who are the names that are going to be the draw. But it could also just be something as simple as, okay, you know, more of our people are coming through Twitter than through Facebook, so let's drop the Facebook ad campaign and do promoted tweets and Instead, it could be the kind of thing where they're noticing that there's a certain ticket type that's, that more people are responding to. Maybe it's a package deal or something. So they might want to reallocate their ticket allotments and, and you know, allocate more inventory to a certain package deal as opposed to you know, a standalone ticket, that kind of thing. What's great about Eventbrite, and I'm really not trying to be too pitchy here, but what's great about Eventbrite is that this is all flexible and pliable. So if, if you, a promoter or a venue or a band, have all this in your control, you can make those kind of decisions. You can make those adjustments as you go along. If you're working with someone who, who isn't as agile, it's going to be harder to make those real-time adjustments. Paul. It's on the horizon. So yes, venues do work with Eventbrite. It's not the core of our business, and, and that's for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is that very often venues work in these sort of these timelines that are dictated by many years long contracts. So it's not the kind of thing where we can like get in there and disrupt the heck out of everyone all in Q2 of 2013, right? We have to wait for these contracts to come up to go after that business. But the truth of the matter is Eventbrite is much more interested in working directly with musicians and promoters and these kinds of people. And, and what, you're, what you're honing in on, Paul, is, the, is this difference between having great relationships with the people who are actually performing, whose businesses are actually being run this way, and then you know they're beholden to venues who have their own system, right? And so what we're really trying to do is inspire that groundswell of, of pushback of people wanting more control. And that's why doing things like this is really, you know, it's really our way of saying, hey, this makes a difference. This really matters. So let's educate the community. Let's make sure everyone understands what we're talking about here so that we have the, the muscle to sort of push up against some of the institutional memory of the music industry. <laughs> Sure. So the question is, like, what are the best practices for, for event promotion, which I could 
sort of talk about forever. But I, I think in short, you know, this idea of turning your community into your promoters is something that is not, you know, new to Eventbrite. It's something that a lot of people at SF Music Tech are talking about. And I, I think it's really potent. I think it really is the is the sort of secret sauce. So I think that any ways in which organizers, bands, venues can compel their community to spread the word, that's just such a more authentic message than anything that any sort of label or advertiser is going to deliver. So the question is about sort of different stages of planning. And so, so I guess the idea would be things like early bird ticket prices and tiered pricing, using opportunities around announcing a lineup, announcing a venue, announcing a charity partner, whatever it may be. Each of those things creates a hook, creates an opportunity to reach out to the community to, to build buzz. So what I would say is that for any sort of long timeline that someone is working on, sort of identify those, those mile markers, those opportunities to make some noise and still have something substantive to say and build your marketing and PR plan, you know, sort of weaving in between those, those mile markers. Okay, I have one time for one more question. Yeah, absolutely. So the question is, when is Eventbrite going to support assigned seating? The really unsatisfying answer is hopefully soon because it's a big, complicated problem. It's one of those things that it's a, actually a true opportunity for our engineering prowess to shine, to build something that's a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more clever to deal with this problem of assigned seating. So it's something that we're absolutely working on. It's, it's not something that I have a timeline for quite yet, but I think that we'll, we'll see some exciting stuff coming out of Eventbrite in this, in this year on that. Okay, I'm going to give the mic. Thanks.